Hey everybody, happy Friday. It's, yay! Yay, it's Friday. Um, this is Trevin McGee with the Scene Stealers Podcast. Reunited, reunited once more with and my friend. And feels so good. That you heard him, it's Trey Hawk. He's back from sailing the English Channel. Yes. Is I, that right? Yeah. Did I, I get just, that right? Yeah, I'm the first, first person to solo sail across the English Channel. Well, I thought you and Sir Richard Branson were going to cross it on a like a two-seater jet ski no but i i did see his private island i was yeah. in the british virgin islands for a week and nice. uh yeah just sailing around there um it was a lot of fun but uh unfortunately it cost me the podcast last week so yeah. i apologize for my brief hiatus oh, that's but all i'm right. glad to be back we were going to record one and then the person who was supposed to be on it with me uh canceled he had to wash his hair correct uh he had to mow his lawn uh although he could he, it would be nice if he'd wash his hair every now and then cause it stinks <laughs> but he uh um, he had to mow his lawn which is the stupidest thing i've ever said i think that he probably had, he had to mow his yeah. lawn so he couldn't yeah. do a podcast because oh you know how we what we should say it is he had to do a little yard work Oh, ah, little man, yeah, yeah, little manscaping. Oh. So that's probably what it was. We've got a pretty light podcast today. We've just got one movie to talk about, and that's uh, Seth MacFarlane's new comedy uh, western, "A Million Ways to Die in the West." So we're gonna get to that in a minute. Um, but first, we're gonna hit our one things really quick. I'm gonna start with my one thing, which is uh, the Alamo Draft House is screening Raiders of the Lost Ark. The uh, oh god, sorry. <clears throat> the Alamo Draft House is screening the final in the original Indiana Jones trilogy. We don't talk about Crystal Skull; it didn't happen; it doesn't exist. Um, so they were screening Last Crusade uh, this Sunday. Really excited about it. If you haven't gotten a chance to see it in a theater, I uh, definitely recommend it. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, the more you know, we go through action movie season every summer and we go through shitty action movie season every winter yeah and um one thing i always go back to i i I always think like was it just the my age that made you know the time of my life that made those indiana jones movies so memorable and fun and great and then i see you know the newest crop of action movies every year and i'm like "Mm, no no it it you know they had good scripts and they had great pacing and they excellent actors and excellent I mean, and there actors. was a reason why those actors would sign on to and also projects. you know they, they they were trying to push ILM was doing I mean they they've always been doing groundbreaking stuff but ILM was doing what they could and they were definitely on the cutting edge um in 87 but they still weren't where we are now and so with that you know like they had to use special effects very, you know, sparingly and intelligently. Sure. Um, and so you get a lot of organic um, action movie bluster in, in those movies, and I love it. Yeah. And um, the there are so many great sequences in the final um, Indiana Jones movie. Um, the tank scene at the end is, is great. The, uh, the three trials that he has to pass to get to the grail, like that's a blast. The beginning the 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 zeppelin and i mean there are so many fantastic moments in that movie to to see even on a small screen i can't wait to see what it's like on a big giant movie theater with a bunch of people who are excited to watch it so really looking forward to that yeah um 
What about you, Trey? What are, what are you uh, what are you well, championing this week? This week, I just want to give another shout out to a film that is actually a current release in the theaters now, and you probably won't get a lot more time to catch this one. Mm-hmm. And I think it's uh, it's an important one to check out, and that is Only Lovers Left Alive. Uh, it's still it's still in the theaters. It's actually been held for another week at the Tivoli, and it's Jim Jarmusch. And this is an American director that has been an independent, uh, an interesting independent director for some time and is still putting out good work. Um, And Only Lovers Left Alive, if you didn't hear my review of it previous, it's basically about this older creative couple that looks at the world around them and is dissatisfied by normal people. Oh, and by the way, they happen to be ancient, hundred, multiple hundred-year-old vampires. Right. Um, and that really is the sort of priority level and the emphasis level, is it's really just about this couple trying to uh, survive in a world that doesn't really satisfy them. That their creative and their pursuits are kind of beyond those of normal people. Um, so very interesting film if you haven't gotten a chance to see it and you want to see some really excellent independent American filmmaking this is a film you need to check out and and honestly even though it's slow and it's methodical like all of Jim Jarmusch's films it still is pretty visually impressive yeah, and is worth seeing on the big screen so that's my one thing. Only lovers left alive. Go and see it while it's and what, still out. You gave that a solid rock fist when it came out. Is that correct, or did you go way up? I think I went way up. Oh, good. Yeah, okay. I think I went way up. Is that the first one you went way up on this year? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's good been a, been a slower. Year. He uses them sparingly. If you haven't caught yeah. on, he's not like me and Eric. He throws, <laughs> he only, he's, although, although he last throws year, out like two a year. Yeah, last year I was on a sort of crazy pace. Well, last year was. A good year. Last year was amazing. So you know, between Spring Breakers and Stoker, yeah, I can't blame I was, you. I can't blame you. Yeah. So let's just jump into uh, A Million Ways to Die in the West. Um, it's, like we said, it's Seth MacFarlane's new comedy, set in the West, as if the title didn't already you know, and, get And use finger quotes around comedy. Comedy, yeah. yeah. Seth MacFarlane's <laughs> new finger quote Quotes, comedy. Comedy. Um, he, again, he cast himself as the lead and is uh, a simple sheep herder named Albert Stark, who... Uh, is a coward and really hates the era that he was born into. He cannot stand the West. The American frontier is not his friend. I believe the entire movie takes place in 1891. 1882, 86, something like that. Maybe it's 1891, but right around there. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, he, uh, he lives in a little town called old stump. 
Um, he's got a he's got a young girlfriend that. Uh... Oh, it's no, it is eighteen eighty six because okay. of one of the references that comes in it. Oh, got it. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So yeah, he he lives in a little town called Old Stump. He's a coward and he hates the era that he grows up in. And at the very beginning of the film, he loses the one thing that he likes about the about the time period, which is his girlfriend, played by Amanda Seyfried, and spends the rest of the movie trying to find his um, find his backbone and become a become a hero and and hopefully um, the, find his and, way back into her heart. Yep, and get the girl. Um, and we all know where that goes and what direction that's going to take because we've watched movies before, right. but. You know, you can't really fault a movie for that too much. I don't think, at least. I mean, if 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 the main points of a plot are telegraphed, fine, whatever. Um, but if the journey to that conclusion is interesting or fun or involving or or in or any very way, very funny or f- very funny in this case, yeah. Um, it, you know, you can excuse it. You know, my biggest problem with this movie is that. It's just not very funny. <laughs> right. It's it's a very unfunny comedy. And I feel like the biggest thing that holds it up, and I know Eric and I reviewed Ted um, kind of disastrously a couple of years ago over Skype, um, and he really spoke to a lot of the... It's really easy to criticize Seth MacFarlane um, for Family Guy and for a lot of stuff. It's really, he's, a, he's a really easy target. Um his humor is very non sequitur. It's very much based in sort of a, a communally shared pop culture knowledge. Yeah, it's very referential. It's very referential. It can be very meta when it wants to be. Um, and he's an easy, he's a very easy, especially, especially after Family Guy came back and became the big ratings giant that it's become. And now he has, I think, two shows. He had three. Maybe he still has three. I can't remember. Um, but he's, you know, he's, he's seen some great success and that's, that's great. You know, he works hard and whatever, but, um, one of the problems this movie really has isn't his inability to be, um, you know, mature his comedy or, you know, make it more, uh, sophisticated. It's really just that he can't let a joke land to save his life in this sure. movie there's nobody it's almost like there's three writing credits on the screenplay and it it just seems like nobody said hey hey man just let that joke go it's okay like yeah. just let the punchline land and then move on to the next joke there's always it always goes setup punchline extra thing after the punchline and sometimes extra thing after the extra thing right and it really dilutes the whole one, you know, comedy is about timing and pacing and it really fucks up all of that. Um, sure. Comedic, that comedic mechanism gets, gets totally disrupted first of all. And then secondly, it makes it very difficult to, um, let a single joke sink in before you move on to the next one. And this isn't like a, a Zucker brothers, you know, top secret kind of movie where like there's, non-stop. there's just a, there's just a bit every, you know, yeah. Top Secret, especially. I think that's one of. I think that's their most underrated movie for sure. And that movie, you can like set a stopwatch. They like there's a bit every minute in that movie. Like there's somebody on set just had a stopwatch and right. and timed it. It was like we got to do something funny. It's been, you know, even if it's throwaway, we've got to do a throwaway gag. It's been th- sure. it's been thirty two seconds. You know, right. this isn't like that. It's just somebody will say something and their punchline will hit, and then someone else will add to it, or they'll add to their own punchline, or they'll circle back to the beginning of the joke. And it just, nothing ever 
really gets to sink in. Yeah. And there's, and so that's my biggest problem with it. It's a very predictable, um, by the book movie. It's, it's not, it's not really from a production standpoint, it's not poorly made. Um, no, not terribly made. It's not, I mean, there's, there's nothing particularly energetic about it no. either. Um, so it's, it's not particularly ambitious. Um, I, I mean, you've got period costumes, but you've got a limited cast and yeah. one, really one or, or a small handful of, of locations. Right. Um, so it's, it's not a hugely ambitious production either, but, um, but it's not poorly made. You're correct. Um, I, I mean, I would, I would agree with that. And I, you know, my, my problem is, is he needed to edit but not like edit the film for pacing necessarily. Although there are moments where the edits seem to happen at very bizarre times. Oh yeah. Um, so, so the editing as far as the, the picture edit is, is weird also, but he needed to like edit as far as the script. And there are a couple of moments that are very, very funny. And, and so it's not a matter of his ability to kind of like work a moment. Right. Because that's illustrated in the two or maybe three times he does something pretty funny in this film. But the problem is, is that there, there are moments where the funny thing will happen. And it's a subtle moment. Yeah. There's and, f- and you need to think about it. Right. In order for you to go, oh, and then just like laugh. But he's already on to the next thing and doesn't let you think about it. Right. Which then undermines the actual kind of clever punchline that happened. Yeah. He definitely cannibalizes his own comedy throughout right. the whole thing. Yeah. You know, I was really, and, and one thing I was really impressed with how much of a physical comedy it is at times. Yeah. Um, we've joked about or, or, or mentioned a scene that Neil Patrick Harris has that's, it's, it's, it's so, the funniest thing it's in there. It's so funny and it's not, I mean, it's not a big thing, but it's just, it's just this really funny physical bit and it kind of follows that comedic rule where if you do something for a little bit, it's funny and if you keep doing it, it's not funny and then if you keep doing it still it gets really funny and right. it follows that and i i loved how you know like like funny that was and mcfarland's got some good physical moments um a couple of times he he does some funny physical comedy it's just it, but it, it seems so it falls into that middle ground it is where it's, it's really not middling funny anymore yeah and it doesn't push far enough to become funny again and it doesn't and it loses its energy the, it doesn't have much to begin with, but it's not a matter of it being like thinking a certain kind of comedies beneath it, you know, like they could have really blown out cameos and done something really funny with a right. bunch of them or whatever. And, and it really doesn't do that. Uh, there, there's sort of a post credit cameo. That's okay. Kind um, of funny. there's a middle, there's a middle of the film cameo. That's really random and <laughs> could have been funny if they had just edited it a little bit differently. Right. Right. It's like the great. That's like the best example I can come up with of why the movie's not funny is it blows that cameo uh, so totally, and it could have been really funny. There, there are more little things that it could have done. Um, and it, like I said, it's not a matter of them not wanting to look cheap or desperate because 
There are a ton of fart jokes. There are, you know, like, it's primarily a foul language movie. It's not a gross-out comedy as but much as it is, like... It is a foul language movie in that there is a ton of profanity. And that's what I mean. Like, I'm not a prude. But the profanity is just so kind of poorly used yeah. because yeah. it's just... None of the profanity is emphasis. It's it's almost like listening to somebody say like yeah over and over yeah. or you know you know right um, that that's the way they're employing their they're employing their dirty words right and so they just become these verbal crutches that don't add emphasis don't add sort of spice or a taboo nature to the the dialogue or the joke that's going on yeah. They don't draw our attention to anything. It's just it's just throwaway words that fill up the space. And I, I'm not somebody who's offended by foul language. I I adore a well placed, you know, a well placed profane word. Yeah. Um, but in this film, it just is filler. Yeah. And and I think that's that's kind of the overall problem is that he doesn't know how to edit himself. Yeah. Well, you think about how Tarantino uses it and it seems way more naturalistic in, in a lot of his scripts. Yeah. And here it, it goes, like you said, it goes from sounding kind of naturalistic to being like, it'd be really naturalistic if these people were all really stupid, right? but you know, they're not, yeah. it's, it's not, it just doesn't really work. We're spending a long time on it. It's a minor rock fist down. I, I wanted to like it way more than I actually liked it. I was hoping it would be just like this raucous over the top comedy. The title makes it sound like it's, there are going to be all these random deaths. And I thought that would be hilarious. And there if, are a if the few whole random thing, deaths, but not, not enough to not, earn the Yeah. The not title. as employed as comedically as I thought it would be. It doesn't go the cameo route. And I thought that could have been hilarious if they'd done that. And they had like old West guys and all this other, you know, like I thought that right. could have been really funny. It doesn't really go that route. Um, I was mostly surprised that uh, at how much time it spends on the sort of burgeoning love story between him and Charlize Theron. And those those parts didn't annoy me. Right. It, it didn't bother me, but it definitely could have been employed a little bit better to not totally break the f- flow of the movie. Like, there, it has such a And I think that's kind of some of the list. tonal weirdness. Yeah, there's such a tonal disparity throughout the whole thing, and... And there's, it's really hard to get on, on a rhythm or a, or a tempo in this movie. It's very all over the place. And, yeah, and all, it trips all over itself quite a few times. So you know, it's a minor rock fist down. And um, I'm a minor rock fist down. Also, I do think that this, that some of the love story and even some of the slower portions where it's not so comedically driven between Seth MacFarlane's character Albert and. Uh, Charlene Theron's character Anna, I, I there's an easy charm to yeah. those. They're 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 kind of comfortable and they're on screen. They, they seem like they seem it like seems like friends. Like, yeah, they seem yeah. like friends, and it seems like it's almost like one of the uh, early Soderbergh Ocean's Eleven or like uh, yeah. Ocean's movies, where you can tell like ah this isn't a great movie, but it's fun. And these people seem like they're having a great time making it. Right. Um, so those moments between Seth MacFarlane and Charlize Theron um, kind of have that feeling a little bit to me, where I'm like, oh, there's an easy charm to this. There are a couple of very funny jokes, but they do they are not 
like the movie does they not don't earn save them. yeah they right. don't save the movie and so so i think it's got to be a minor rock fist down and i think it's just a confusing mix of tone the sort of the sort of charming and sincere tone of the love story with the attempt to be kind of a gross out humor yeah. of most of the rest of the film um, and then weird pacing issues where I, I think it's it was like 10 or 15 minutes and there hadn't been like a big laugh yet. Yeah. Um, and I think that's very, you know, very troublesome whenever you're in a film that is supposed to be just kind of a silly, spoofy, screwball comedy. Um, that that it's it's a problem. So, yeah, I think tonal weirdness, and I think his ability to edit himself and understand when his jokes are working and when they're not working and why they're not working, whether they haven't been pushed far enough or whether he has pushed them too far into this kind of weird middle ground where it'd just be better if he ended it with the actual punchline. Right. Also, while you were gone, I also saw uh, X-Men Days of Future Past, and I, you have way more experience with this than I do, I think, um, but I Are told, you talking about superhero movie I'm, fatigue? A little bit of that. I'm talking more about disliking a movie that seemingly everyone else around you likes or 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 even loves yeah that is the plight of most of my summers a lot of your a lot of you you are way more familiar with this than i am um and it's it's weird for me um because it almost seems like i mean i don't review things to go along with what other people say or you know like i never i never read reviews before i write my own or you know like I, i don't listen to what other people have to say a lot of times like i make my comments at theaters and get the hell out of there before you can a lot hear of people other people tell me yeah. all about it because yeah. you know like, I I really want to keep my reaction as organic as I can, um, and I just did not fucking like this movie at all. <laughs> <laughs> I really didn't, and I've had several people, a couple of guys that I know that that write comics and draw comics, a couple of people I know who've been uh, comic book lovers and and reviewers or readers their entire lives. Uh, really pleased with this film, and I think it's just terrible. Huh. I mean, terrible is an overstatement. It's bad. It's not like insulting, but it's it's lazy. It's lazy and it's stupid. It's funny and because it's your difficult reaction... for me to like, you know, like it's like a Twilight Zone episode where you you know you feel like the whole world sees you know right. one color and you see a different one it's right. so weird i don't understand so your reaction to this and this and that's as far as i've gotten and i want to get into a couple of specifics yeah but your reaction to this because you and i i would say are usually run parallel um, our opinions kind of run parallel they're not the same oftentimes they're they're nuances you'll like something better than i like it 
but I, you know, I'll like it too, or you and I will both dislike something, but you'll dislike it more. So, yeah. But for the most part, our 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 tastes seem to kind of run in tandem. They're definitely like shared points. Exactly. You know? Like when something's truly good, I think we can both come down on it. Like uh, like Stoker or like Spring Breakers or even Zero Dark Thirty. I remember sure. um, leading up to that, I was like, I don't know if Trey's going to like this because I know he's not big on military stuff. This isn't a military movie, right? It's not. And and you know you you ended up really enjoying that one as well so you know like on i feel like it's a good bellwether when we both sure enjoy something but it always intrigues me when we have these moments of divergence right and and i have had no interest in seeing this film until i heard that you hated it yeah and then all of a sudden i'm like well maybe i need to see this yeah um, and it's not because I think I will like it. Uh, I, I think that I, I think that I will be bored with it and I think that it will be, you know, a disappointing mo- movie of, if I were to go and see it. But one, one easy complaint for superhero movies and ones and one that I've heard you make before, which was valid in, in your case when you've made it is that I, and I do think this is the case. Sometimes people don't see the movie that's in front of them. They see the movie that they want to see yeah it's, so they you know like they see the fan service and they see the the idea of you know this character that i've followed my entire life is now on the big screen yeah you know? it's, it's it's the it's the live show loud amp syndrome yeah where it sounds like garbage but because you know there you know the album front to back yeah you know it through and through and you can scream along with the band and they are performing in front of you, right. it sounds like the best show ever. Right. Because you're unable to be critical of it. And, what, yeah. I've never been a fan of the X-Men movies. I mean, I, I enjoy the comics. I don't have, like, an insane love for any comic. But even if I did, I am a mature adult and can separate one art form from another sure. and not hold them in comparison and say this isn't right and they got this guy all wrong and why is, why does this guy have this power that's not where any of my concerns right. come from um eric and i still have arguments about he he still swears up and down that x2 is one of the best superhero movies ever made i think x2 sucks i think all the x-men movies are total <laughs> with the exception of first class and i'll explain why in a second but i think the x-men movies are very poorly handled right. um and they had they on paper they had all the opportunities there. I really liked the idea in the first one of a newcomer coming to this school and seeing this team and feeling like an outsider and then being accepted right. and her differences make her an asset instead of a detriment. That's a really powerful story that anybody can relate to and there are several Disney movies that follow almost that exact plot exactly. line. Exactly, yeah. You know, you can you could do that, but instead, you know, we don't get any time with these characters. They they spend all their time on one they don't really build these relationships. They rely on the viewers, you know, previous knowledge of these characters, either through the comics or even the cartoon that, you know, Professor X is their leader and Cyclops is their field commander. Sure. And Cyclops and Jean Grey are dating and Wolverine likes her, but can't do, you know, like right. they fill in all the gaps, but it's not really characterization. It's just fan service. Yeah. Yeah. And <clears throat> it's like the Harry Potter or the Twilight films. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fair comparison. Or even, I mean, even Hunger Games. When sure. I, I didn't see the second one, but when I reviewed the first one, I was like, there is a lot. They are really depending on your love of the books to fill in a lot of this emotional yeah. backstory because it's not really there. Sure. And I thought Brian Singer really dropped the ball on, 
in the first two about making these movies about something and about being an outcast and ostracized and finding your place and finding in, in, the, in the sort of family and communal relationship. And then also doing a service to these characters beyond making sure Wolverine says bub and, you know, finally in this movie, Iceman gets to surf on a fucking ice bridge. Like those aren't the characters. It's what they do. Right. But it's not who they are. And it's interesting because that's actually that's actually kind of my critique of the sort of Avengers assembling moment. Yeah, I know yeah. people were going for it, like and gunning for it, and waiting to see that moment. But again, that's not the characters. That's what the characters do. And right. what the characters do, the actions of the characters can describe the characters themselves, but not always. But I, I give that scene a... We don't have to spend a ton of time on right. it. But I give that scene a pass because events lead up to that of course there's some characterization and some things that it's a significant moment when they do sure unite or whatever right. and, and and become a team um there's not even a transcendent moment like that in much of the x-men movies um which explains a lot why i liked matthew vaughn's only x-men film um first class a lot because it does fill in a lot of that backstory and it does one having a cast that can act and have stuff sure. to do really helps. So having Michael Fassbender and James McAvoy, you know, sharing much of the film um, is very useful. But then giving them a backstory, really getting into what drives them and what they're like and what they were like as young men. And and it, it really helps deepen those characters and explain those bonds and those motivations. And that's why I thought First Class worked more than it didn't. And it's the only one that I own. I've seen all of them. I re I've reviewed three of them now. Yeah. Um, and with this one, it's a return. Brian Singer comes back. It's his first X-Men movie. It's it's kind of the launch pad for this new, they're going to do an apocalypse movie next. And so this was sort of the movie that would unite the timeline. So you had the stuff, the, the people from first class. So Michael Fassbender, James McAvoy, um, uh, Jennifer Lawrence all return. Right. And then you have the characters from the future, uh, so Hugh Jackman is Wolverine, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen are both around. Ellen Page is there for a minute. Halle Berry, um, hilariously, uh, Anna Paquin is in it as rogue for maybe a second. And she gets like a major credit and she's in the movie for like, I'm not exaggerating. You see her back and she turns around and says hi to somebody. Wow. Yeah. She has nothing to do in this film. Um, you know, and it's there to unite the timelines, and then it turns out, you know, it's been out for two weeks, so if you haven't seen it, just tune out now. Who cares? But it it's turns out that... Spoiler spoiler, spoiler. Yeah, it turns out that the movie also serves as a giant reset button. So it's a time travel-based movie, and the, and the plot of the original is also time travel-based. Um, in the original, they send Kitty Pride back, and this one, they send Wolverine back. I don't care. That's not a big deal. But they send Wolverine back to the 70s to... There's one key event. It also follows the Back to the Future rules of time travel, where if you just change the one thing, there are no ripple. Other there are no ripple effects, so you just have to change yeah. the one thing, and it'll make the future good. Um, and so, Wolverine has to go back in time and warn uh, Xavier and Magneto that Mystique can't kill this person because if she does, it's going to cause this timeline change. That's going to lead them into this dystopian future where the mutants are hunted and killed and systematically eliminated. And apparently everything is uh, 
dirty gray and dirt shit brown because it's the future and that's yeah. how all dystopian futures are colored. They don't explain why. They don't explain why New York is a wasteland or they don't, who cares, yeah. but it's there. Um, you need to punctuate this podcast with uh, Huey Lewis and the News songs yeah. from Back to the Future. I will. Awesome. I'll, I'll do that. Gotta go back in mm-hmm. time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Still one of my favorite bad music videos. There's a guy in that music video that just goes, ah, that's his whole job. <laughs> He's in it for one second to do that. Um, anyway, they send Wolverine back in time. He's going to warn these people and stop this one thing from happening, and that'll fix the entire future. Yeah. And, you know, even if I'll even spot them that, it's just very lazy and it cuts a lot of corners right and it throws away a lot of that characterization that i enjoyed in first class like fossbender doesn't really get to do anything except be a dick like magneto's just a dick that's all right. there is to it he's just mad and and his like his motives don't make any sense um and with the character i mean within the context of the character it doesn't make any sense and there there are all these like corners that it cuts and you can forgive some of them but then others it's like that doesn't Right. It's just fucking lazy. Yeah. Like the whole thing about the future sentinels are these fucking T-1000 things that can change their molecular structure into anything. So if you try to burn them, they turn into ice. Or if you try to hit them with Colossus's metal, they'll turn into the same metal and hit you back. Stuff like that. And that, okay, fine. That makes sense. It, you know, within the context of the movie, I'll spot them that. But then one of them turns into a fucking diamond. And it's like, well, then they all just need to be diamonds. Like, why don't you just all make them diamonds? Because then they're indestructible and nothing can hurt them. Like, right. like why aren't they all... Like, you just broke your own logic. Right. There's no reason for any of this. If they can turn into the hardest structure on Earth, then just have them all do that, and then nothing will ever stop them ever. Right, right. And that happens, and I'm just supposed to be cool with it. Or Well, I mean, it's you know, Brian Singer, Superman in a Coma. Yeah, Superman yeah. in a Coma. <laughs> Worst Morrissey song. Right. Still my least favorite Morrissey <laughs> yeah, song. Exactly. But it, it just there are tons of little corner cuts like that. They have to stop Mystique from killing this guy. They get to her before she kills the guy. And Magneto's solution is not to like get abscond her away from that and then deal with her somewhere else. But the minute he sees her, he tries to kill her. And it's and it's like you why are you wasting time here? Like, just go somewhere else. Right. <laughs> just take her out of the equation and then kill her five minutes from now. Right. You know, and for a character who's supposed to be so, you know, cunning and maniacal, you would think he would have thought Come of, up with a have plan. thought of that, yeah, yeah. you know? So that's really lazy. Um, Wolverine come like when he wakes up, he's in some woman's bed and he doesn't know who he is. And then, He's confused, and then these mafia guys show up, and they, like, shoot him full of holes, and then he heals and kills them. And he can't remember where he's at. And, and but So I'm like, okay, time travel, he can't, even though they just moved his consciousness back in time right. to when he was a younger man. Can't remember what happened, but he'll, he'll remember later that he's got a, you know... So, okay, I'll spot him that. And then five minutes later, he's like, I know a guy. And he goes to a fucking teenager's house. And, like, like he goes to a teenager's house in upstate New York. So he couldn't remember where he was sleeping or who he was fucking. But he just happened to remember where this, like, 15-year-old lives. Yeah. Because um, it's convenient to the story. Yeah. There are just a lot of corners like that that get cut and don't make any sense. And they're just really lazy. Yeah. And there's no... there's. So why do people love this film? Like, all right, so, so you've gone through the, some details and said that, that there are lots of lots of... 
skipped hurdles and lots of little jumps that they'll make that are dissatisfying, that rupture the story and are too apparent there for you, and that there's not enough character, to actual legitimate character development on the handful of characters that are at the core of this, um, and there seems to be a lot of fan service. I totally respect that. It, it sounds like your assessment would probably be largely my assessment if I were to go and see this film. Um, but why are people loving this film? I mean, a lot of what I've seen as of as of Saturday, it had a ninety one percent freshness rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow, which is bonkers yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, but I mean, a lot of the stuff that I've seen is that people are just glad that that everybody's back. Um, it's like it's, a reunion. It really is. Like the other it's thing. It's so good to see everybody. Again. It really. That's some of the stuff I've seen. And then the other thing that's incredible is they made such a big deal about the cast coming back and everything. Right. The future teams literally bookend the movie. Right. So and we see them for ten minutes com- in front and ten minutes in exactly. back. Exactly. Yeah. And they don't really do much of anything. Like Ellen Page runs through some walls and then stands at Wolverine's temples with her hands for the rest of the movie. There's no development there. Why does she do that? She apparently, oh, that's the other thing is she developed a new power, even though no one else in the movie gets a secondary mutation. She got a mutation that allows her to send people back in time. Oh, okay. It was just convenient. Gotcha. In the, in the, but con- just their consciousness. Yeah. 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 Which may, you know, it's, it doesn't make any sense within her, you know, no. power structure, but who cares? Um, yeah. they just did it as a little nod to the actual, you know, original story. It's okay. I'll they couldn't, they couldn't page. just take a mutant. They couldn't just take a person and have them do it. They had to make it her for some reason so that she would just have something to do. Right. right. But she doesn't have anything to do. Um, yeah. She was just like, I'm Ellen page. I was in a inception. I'll have that power. <laughs> oh yeah. There's, there's another <laughs> wonderful jump in logic that I loved too. Um, I just remembered. So the whole thing is that they're going to make these sentinels, these, intelligent robots that can identify mutants somehow in the 70s identify mutants which well let's go back even i just this just occurred to me how did i how did this not cross my mind until just now um the whole premise is that peter dinklage's character invents these robots that can spot mutants and identify them and kill them and then when he himself is killed by a mutant it makes Congress jump into action and ratify the program and right. and make it happen, and then the developments, the advancements they make on Sentinels turn them into the shitty T-1000 diamond things. But in the past timeline, he's already made them, and they have a presentation where he shows them off. So even if Wolverine hadn't gone back, there was still going to be a, like... Sentinels. Yeah, they, yeah, here's the Sentinels. We made them. Right. So at any point in X1 or 2, when mutants are around, recognized, threaten the entire world, right. no one in Congress was like, let's turn that Sentinel thing back on. Hey, can we have that back? Yeah. Can we have that Sentinel thing back? Remember I'm, back I'm in the, sick of mutants again. <laughs> Remember back in the 70s when he built a sophisticated system for identifying these things just by fucking looking at them, which makes no sense? Right. Um, why don't we turn that back on? Maybe it's olfactory. Let's just turn that back yeah, on. Maybe it's maybe so, it's some sort yeah. Of so that's just another device. example of how like fucking broken and lazy yeah. it is as a story. Um, so where do you come down on it? Oh, it's a you know it can't be a major rock or it can't be a rock fist way down because it's not like 
It's not like... It wasn't offensive. It didn't break your soul. I still am operating on the gangster squad rule. It's not gangster squad bad. Right. Um, I haven't... I, I don't know you if don't I've seen... You don't have to grade on a curve. I don't know if I've seen a movie worse than gangster squad or as bad. <laughs> That's the last movie that was like inordinately inord- inord- offensive to me. Yeah, yeah. We're like, See, have... I saw Gatsby after gangster squad. Oh, yeah. So. Gatsby was really... I did too. Yeah. It was terrible. It was super, super bad. Too terrible. It's not that bad. Yeah. But it's... No. I'm, I'm trying to keep an even... More on it War because Horse? did you ever see War Horse? No, no, <laughs> no. Yeah. I'm trying to keep an even uh, perspective on it because I don't want to. I don't want to over hate it because right. uh, because so many people sure sure are are cutting a break. Yeah, that yeah. I think you can't, are lazy. You can't fling the no. the switch the other direction. No, so either. it's it's a it's a it's a minor rock fist down. I wish we had a solid rock fist down because it would get that right. Um, because it's right. it's between like I think I've asked for one of those before. I have too, and yeah. there's some reason that Eric I've also asked for a split fist <laughs> because it's like one where you're just like. It's not a Swiss fist. Like I'm not, I'm not unwilling to give a rating. Right. But like, there are some things. About half of it is good and half of it is bad. And so I've really asked for a split fist, but he won't give me that either. <laughs> That's too bad. Yeah, because we don't want twenty rating symbols. Yeah. So. Oh, the other thing, I've got to, I've got to get this last piece of stupidity out. <laughs> so, Magneto, most wanted man in the world. Um, imprisoned underneath the Pentagon for killing JFK, who ends up being a mutant that he wasn't trying to kill. He was trying to save by curving the bullet away from him. Nice. Makes sense. Um, most wanted, most wanted mutant in the world puts a baseball cap on and sneaks into a high security sentinel factory, right? Jumps on a train. Right. Naturally to, uh, that's full of sentinels. Right. That are headed to Washington. Right. As he then like sneaks to the back of the train and gets on the roof, uses his powers of magnetism to pull the train rails up behind him, like piece by piece, not in front of him. He's not trying to derail the train, pulls the rails up and then splits these cold rolled steel rails into tiny iron wires. And then they snake inside the internal guts of these sentinels and reprogram their their brains what so that they do his bidding now that is terrible so fucking lazy so it's it's stupid that he was responsible for jfk that's just i mean that's yeah. that's almost laughable yeah it's hilarious like, wh- and what and then what when he when he him? when professor x like calls him out on it and he's like i was trying to save him he was a mutant and i'm like all right now you can go fuck yourself yeah, yeah. like but then reprogramming with reprogramming wire. sentinels with wire no with railroad ties yeah <laughs> like not even with, with wire with wire made from railroad yeah. ties yeah 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 so that was that was the last straw for me that's when i was like this is the laziest fucking movie yeah. and then there's no real chief climax the last scene of the movie is this kind of talking showdown it doesn't really do what <laughs> it i mean it it really is just them talking there's a big sort of I mean, it shows in the trailers. He he lifts a stadium out of its foundation and just drops it around this press conference so that they're kind of like there's a perimeter. Never mind that they're you know gates are still open and whatever. Right. Um, and then television is like live. Leave it. T- television's like live broadcasting everything. 
that's happening and he makes a statement about how mutants should come out of the closet basically and then and then some other people talk and then there's a sort of semi-violent solution but that's that's it like that's all that happens yeah and <laughs> it's really fucking lazy yeah um people made a big deal about it being about wolverine he goes back in time he gets in one fight and then he hits a guy the frying pan and that's all he does wow while he's back in time so it's just a litany of lazy shit there's one good moment the worst part of the marketing is the best part of the movie and it's quicksilver uh that kid that plays him i don't know his name who cares but he uh, (laughs) at this point i'm ready to stop talking about this movie but he um the guy who plays him um is really energetic and fun and he plays him as just sort of an adhd teenager yeah and um so his scenes are pretty solid pretty fun yeah Yeah. he gets two of them and then he's out but the the two he gets are pretty great so and the way they the way they demonstrate his speed is really funny because like you see it from other people's perspective and then one scene you see what it looks like to him yeah and so they get just everything around him is blurred everything around him is uh like frozen and he just like walks around and moves bullets out of the way or like (laughs) he grabs a guy and like moves his hand in front of another guy's face so like in real time, it looks like the guy's hitting him, but he just kind of moves. So yeah. it and lets the inertia of that movement smack the guy. Yeah. So to him, he's moving at normal speed and everyone else is super slowed down. Yeah. And that's a really funny, cool moment in the movie. And it's pretty much the only one. Yeah. I did enjoy all of the ways that the future X-Men get killed um, because I was so sick of the movie that watching them die in creative ways was fun. Nice. But anyway. Uh, solid rock fist down if, if we had one of those yeah. and that's it so awesome well yep. it don't take money yeah don't, don't take, take fame don't take no credit card <laughs> to use these railroad ties to reprogram robots nice gotta go back in time oh god anyway i know you're gonna see it so i just saved you eight bucks nice thank you all right that's it for this week we'll be back next week with more movies and some guests so have a good weekend and see you later adios